I was remembering during Reverend Sandy's children's sermon when my wife and I, Karina, moved into our current house. The dryer wasn't working very well, so we called someone out to clean the lint, whatever pipe. There's like a chunk of drywall in the lint. So it's fire safety, as Reverend Sandy likes to be aware of, pay attention to those lint traps and those, and those pipes. I am a child of the 90s. And for many of you, perhaps, what comes to mind for you is thinking that I grew up watching things like Friends, Real World, uh, Beavis and Butthead, and listening to things like Nirvana, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Smashing Pumpkins. But I've got to disappoint you. I was not that kind of 90s kid I grew up in a very particular Christian subculture where my influences were reading things like the Left Behind novels and listening to uh, CCM music, if that brings a bell to anyone. Artists like Magalibi Smith, For Him, Point of Grace, getting a lot of blank stares, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And we wore, does anyone remember this? I'm not wearing one today, but what would Jesus do, bracelets? Some people remember those. What came to mind, in fact, when I was thinking about the 90s were iconic, these, well, they're not very iconic, but Christian t-shirts. Now, back in the 90s, there was this trend of like this, these like Christian kind of parody t-shirts where it was like, like a play on words or even like ripping off a brand to have, I don't know why people thought in the 90s like this would resonate with people. Um, so, the, uh, Dustin's gonna show us some examples here. Now, the first one, Oh, we're not there yet. Um, Thanks be to God, we're done. Some of you are saying that. Thanks be to God, we're done. (laughs) Well, that happens. Hey, Lauren. Extend. Log. Keep keep ad-libbing. Okay. Keep ad-libbing. Lint. How about that homophone? What is that? Um, subculture Christian. So, yeah, because Katie's not here today, is she? But when I first got here, I was thinking, like, oh, I need to find a what-would-Jesus-do lanyard for my keys. And does anyone remember those what-would-Jesus-do bracelets? The thing that was funny about those is, like, I remember when, again, I was a teenager, and, like, the thing was, like, all these different colors, and then it came, like, you learn, like, how you could flip it inside out, so, like, the buckle was on the inside. And then what was really kind of humorous based on, again, very conservative Christian, I, fundamental Christian I was, like, when we all thought, like, the rainbow-colored ones were really cool. <laughs> didn't quite, um, you know, again, didn't quite catch on here. All right, how's my stalling going? Almost there. So this, well, I'll set it up the first one. Uh, the first one, it, perhaps, again, this was a classic 90s uh, play on words here. And again, if depending how deep you were in Christian 90s conservative Christian subculture, Abercrombie and Fitch was really quite scandalous for the, the good, real, real conservative Christian. So this was one, a breadcrumb and fish. Nice work, Steve. Hands. Um, yeah. <laughs> The next one, Lord's Gym. Does anyone remember Gold's Gym? Again, like these are just terrible. 
Um, but we thought this was good in the 90s. Okay, next one is, I mean, just like, you know, I, I don't, thank God, I don't know, these companies were into lawsuits yet, I guess. I mean, like, these were for sale. People bought these and wore these. And then, I don't know, was this technically a show in the 90s? I can't remember when this came out. Take the deal. When did that come out? I can't remember. Okay, so it's technically not 2000s. But um, the shirt I remember wearing was a little less cheesy. Um, it was based on the 2 Corinthians 5-7 verse, walk by faith, not by sight. So I couldn't find anything that matched up exactly with what I remember wearing. But this is kind of the gist. It was meant to be like play on the optical element, meant to highlight the importance of living by faith, not walking by sight. So uh, thank you for uh, playing along with me this morning and laughing at my, my youth and upbringing. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. But vision and sight are prominent themes in our text this morning. As we are continuing in our Lenten series of Seeking, we are looking at this story of Jesus healing a man blind from birth. Now, before I dive in, I want to acknowledge a few things here. First of all, this story in John has a lot happening in this text. There are several plots and subplots, I think, running throughout this story. Part of what makes John, the author, such a good storyteller is his complex storytelling. So, first of all, there's a lot happening. A second thing I want to acknowledge is that Stories like this can sometimes be used to shame and marginalize those in the disability community by equating disability with sin, as the disciples did. So I pray that my words say, don't do the same. A third and perhaps more obvious reality is that this is just, just a long story. We only read part of the story. The entire story goes on for 41 verses and when Reverend Sandy asked me, what section of the scripture do you want to read? I said, well, we should just read the whole story, then I'll have to preach. <laughs> so hopefully you all don't feel the same or regret my decision by the time we're done here this morning. So as you saw perhaps in the bulletin or on the screen, the title for this sermon and perhaps the key question is, Who Sinned? Now as the story goes, the disciples were walking along with Jesus and they see this man blind from birth. Immediately, the disciples ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? As one source I read noted, this question of who is really a sinner runs throughout the story. And I want to highlight this question because I think it's a key element. And this is, again, where hearing some more of the story would be helpful. So let me summarize it a bit. So after the man's healing, the disciples, or excuse me, the religious leaders are immediately skeptical of the man, of Jesus, of the entire situation. This can't be the man who was born blind, they bluster. The religious leaders go so far as to tracking down the man's parents, asking if this was really their son and whether he was really blind. But more so, the religious leaders are skeptical of Jesus, of this process, of anything that Jesus does. Now, it's at the end of the story where the deeper themes start to become more obvious. Jesus hears that the religious leaders had ran off this newly healed man. Jesus finds him and asks him, 
Do you believe in the Son of Man? The newly healed man responds, And who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus answers, You have seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. The newly seeing man responds, Lord, I believe. Now, as their conversation continues, some religious leaders happen to overhear the conversation and ask Jesus, surely we are not blind, are we? To which Jesus responds, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. As I mentioned, there's a lot going on in this story. There's lots of conversations about the ability to see, and there are lots of questions about who is really a sinner. And there seems to be some confusion about what the actual problem is. And the more I pondered this story, the more I realized that in this story, what seems like the problem isn't actually the problem. And this is sort of why I think I find this story so tricky. Because whenever I craft a message, I take a problem-solving approach. Find the message, explain the problem, excuse me, find the problem, explain the problem, answer the problem. But the problem in this text is not exactly clear. First, the disciples think that sin is the problem. Then the religious leaders think Jesus' healing process is the problem. Finally, as readers of the story, we're tempted to think that the man's blindness is the problem. What if it's not any of those? What if the problem is the religious leaders who are unable to recognize, to comprehend, to see who Jesus is? And I think this story contrasts their apparent vision with the blind man who almost immediately upon having his sight restored can recognize Jesus for who he is Something these religious leaders, despite being able to see their entire lives, were missing. Meaning, I wonder if even beyond asking who is the sinner here, the story is asking us to consider who can really see. Now, there are several stories in the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of of Jesus healing blind people. Throughout this story and others, Jesus seems to use physical blindness as a teaching metaphor, not to shame and to marginalize, but rather to make a point. In a culture that seems to exclude and marginalize those with physical blindness, Jesus seems to highlight them as people of faith. I find it noteworthy that upon the man's encounter with Jesus, the man immediately goes to the pool of Siloam, washing the mud from his eyes. He literally goes without seeing, or said another way, he walks by faith. Walking by faith, not in accordance with what he could see, but in accordance with what Jesus said, I believe is a key element of the story and recurring theme throughout the book of John. Do you remember the story of Doubting Thomas? The one who believes in Jesus as rector as res, can't say the word resurrected only after he's able to see and touch the physical resurrected Jesus touch his body in that encounter in John chapter 20 later on 
Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Did you catch that? Jesus is saying that believing in him isn't just about recognizing the obvious or verifying the facts. It's about, as the Apostle Paul wrote, walking by faith, not by sight. It's about believing without seeing. Bring it back to our story here in John, I think at least, that things start to become a little clearer. The people who can recognize that Jesus is special, whether or not they can physically see or not, these are the ones with real vision. And the ones who cannot recognize Jesus' particularity, even if they can see, they might as well be blind because they're missing what really matters. This spiritual vision, if I may, is what Jesus challenges us to consider. And if I can continue to play with the metaphor, I think Jesus asks us to take a spiritual eye test, if you will. Not with the eyeballs of our body, but with the vision of our soul. Can we truly see Jesus for who he is? Can we trust him? Can we live faithfully without being able to see the future for ourselves? Faith calls us to believe and then to act without seeing. Meaning in our individual and communal lives, there will be times that God asks us to act without having a clear path on where to go or what to do next. To endeavor into new ministries without a clear picture of who we're going to help. To embark on new projects without having a complete timeline of what things will look like. To engage deeper and more intentionally into our communal life of faith together. Walking by faith. Acting without seeing taking steps of faith into an unknown future. This is what I believe Jesus asks of us as individuals and as a community of faith. And sure, we can maintain the status quo, act only on what's right in front of us, make decisions on only what we can touch and see, risking only if we can guarantee results, we'll know what will happen and will please everyone. We can do that. But I believe that churches and groups that act like that end up like those religious leaders. Cold, joyless, lifeless, stuck in the past and obsessed with preserving the status quo. God calls us as individuals and as a community to walk forward into the future, taking bold steps of faith by faith. Recently I was reading a book uh, called Leading Faithful Innovation, soon to be published, and I want to read you in a story they give in this book about a church. It writes, A group of people from an urban church went on a prayer walk in the neighborhood near where the church was worshipped. Many of them had never been on a prayer walk before. They were probably wondering things like, What do you even do on a prayer walk? Do you pray out loud the whole time you are walking? Do you pray for people on the street? Do you just pray silently as you walk? As the church group created a plan for where they were going to walk, they decided their goal would be to pay careful attention to what was around them as they traveled together. They remained open to letting God reveal important observations about their neighborhood. Their church team encountered different parts of the landscape now that they were walking instead of driving, including a couple of large apartment buildings. One of the buildings had a reception desk near the entrance, so they went in to inquire about how the building was used. 
The staff members told them the building was part of a local organization focused on providing affordable housing for people who were experiencing HIV-AIDS. It was a low-profile, private residence where people sharing similar experiences could live together in community with the goal of promoting health and safety. The people from the church who first learned about the building returned to the congregation sharing their discoveries. A few months later, the church got a call from the affordable housing complex, the same building, asking if people from the congregation could provide Christmas gifts to the people, you know, filled with practical things like hats, gloves, basic essentials. While the organization made it clear they didn't want any Bibles or advertising material in the gift bags, the congregation saw this as an opportunity to love their neighbors. As time passed, the church began, uh, people from the church began to feel as if God was leading them to explore the possibility of building relationships with the residents. They asked permission to host a monthly meal. The building had a community room that was designed for community meals, so the church asked if they could host it there to make it easier for people to come. The building director said yes. Soon a group of faithful church members regularly hosted the meal. Over many months, the turnout varied. Sometimes many residents came, sometimes just a few turned up. The church group wondered if the monthly meal was effective. But they kept doing it because they believed God wanted them to continue to build relationships. Months later, the Neighborhood Association called the church to ask for help. They were trying to survey all the people of the neighborhood to determine how excess funds should be spent. The Neighborhood Association had heard that the church had built relationships with these people in this building, folks that they had been unable to reach themselves and they wanted to make sure their voices were included. The congregation was ready to act. When the Neighborhood Association offered several thousand dollars, the church used the money to host an outdoor party in the building's courtyard. It was open to everyone, everyone with food, games, and even a puppet show. Many residents came and many filled out the survey. The church members were amazed at the opportunity they felt like God gave them through this moment. The neighborhood they had prayed for and walked through had reached out to them, offering them funding to ensure that often overlooked voices were included. But the story didn't end there. Relationships continued to grow between the residents and the people from the church. Some residents came to worship at the church. When one resident passed away, one of the pastors was invited to the building to provide a memorial service. Many people from the building attended and heard about his Christian faith. What started as a prayer walk culminated into life-giving relationships. All of this because a few people noticed the building and took steps to explore what was happening there. It can sometimes be hard to discern whether to act, whether to keep going, even where to go. Looking for God's leading often does not follow a straight line. But God calls us, I believe, to walk toward people and, and into places we cannot necessarily see at first. This is what I believe it means to walk by faith. May we be people with spiritual vision. Amen.